0: John's Gospel? Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I abide in and them. Just as the living Father sent me, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not that like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. If this is your first church service or your first time hearing Jesus speak, I promise you, he doesn't always come off this creepy. Not all of his teachings are this strange. And in my opinion, there is no way of getting around it. This passage, where he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, is one of the most disturbing scripture passages in the entire Gospels. In fact, it is... Passages like this one, stories like this one that got people thinking that the early Christians, the first Christians, were actually cannibals. Now, when we hear Jesus talking this way, talking about flesh and blood, it's really helpful to remember that part of his work here on earth was to move God's people away, away from the practice of ritual blood sacrifice, away from that as a way of reconnecting with God, to move him from that to a more inclusive and less bloody way of connecting with God and with others. And to make this transition from ritual blood sacrifice to other forms of sacrifice and reconnection, from a transactional view of a relationship with God to a relational view of a relationship with God, to make that move, he has to use both the old language and the new. He has to mix them together to build a bridge. So don't get distracted, get caught up, get confused, or bothered too much if you can by the strange language you heard today, because something really important is happening here in the sixth chapter of John. I believe Jesus is presenting us with a choice. Either eat this bread and drink this cup, or don't. Either live in communion with me, with other people, with God, with yourself, or don't. The choice, he's saying, is up to you. You are free to decide. Now, to encourage us to accept the invitation to this table, Jesus does something really interesting here. He links this meal, this communion we'll have later in service, he links it to life everlasting To eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, is to live forever. Which is really good news. If you come and eat. But from where we sit and where we stand, it sure sounds a lot like what is happening here. Is Jesus is excluding, he's building a barrier, a wall. He's excluding a lot of people with this teaching. Because it sounds like one could interpret that if you don't eat the bread and you don't drink the cup. If you don't eat his flesh and drink his blood, then, well, sorry, you are condemned. Condemned to eternal separation from God. This is not heaven if you don't come up here. What you get if you don't come up here, it seems like anyway, is the opposite of heaven. Hell. But that is not, I believe, what is going on here. Now, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, it's important. Whenever you find yourself interpreting a piece of Scripture, a passage in the Bible, interpreting in a way that seems to go against the current, the general current of Scripture, of the story of the Bible. Whenever you come across an interpretation in your mind that seems to go against everything else you know, take a moment, stop, and think. Take a second look at what you're reading, because the current of Scripture is strong and it is clear. God is love. And if that is true, if God loves us, loves the world, loves everyone, Jesus cannot be excluding people from this great gift. That can't be what's going on here. So what then on earth is he doing? Well, I think he's extending us an invitation, which is always nice. But he's doing it in a uniquely Jesus kind of way. He's extending us an invitation by doing something pretty rare, he's telling us the truth. To live disconnected from God, to live cut off and disconnected from others, to live cut off, disconnected from the true self God created you to be, is hell on earth. In 1999, Pope John Paul asked a great question. A question that I think gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about when he links eternal life to the sharing of this meal. Pope John Paul asked, when, when will Catholics realize that heaven and hell are not geographical places, but rather states of consciousness? Let me say that again. When will Catholics, or I would add Christians, or frankly, all people, when will all people realize that heaven and hell are not geographical locations? but rather states of consciousness, ways of being, ways of understanding and experiencing this world. You see, when Jesus offers eternal life in this meal, he is not offering a ticket or a pass or a date into heaven. He is offering an opportunity for us to experience eternal life here and now. To eat at this table with Jesus, with others, is to experience heaven Here on earth. I think it may be one of the hardest teachings to digest, also one of the hardest teachings to reconcile with grace being a gift freely given. But I really believe heaven and hell are always a choice that we make. We choose to live life at a table with others or to live life alone. And if that's true, There are probably some of us here today in this space who are in hell right now, who are choosing to live a life of disconnection, choosing to be hateful or oppositional, choosing to exclude other people based on a whole range of categories. It's no wonder a quick listen to or look at the political landscape of our world, the cultural landscape of our country will reveal a lot of people choosing a less than life, choosing a life. It looks a lot like hell. Instead of choosing life in communion, life in community, they choose life in isolation, life in separation, life in hatred. Heaven or hell, the choice is always ours. This past week we lost a legend when Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul, died. The daughter of a renowned preacher, she was a PK. Aretha Franklin ate at Christ's table. She celebrated communion for years. She tasted eternity at a very young age and keep, keep, kept coming back, growing up with the knowledge, the deep, innate knowledge, that she was a beloved child of God. story goes, as a teenager, as her father preached, and he was a pretty good preacher, Franklin would rise up behind him to fire up the congregation after his sermon with that once-in-a-generation voice and a once-in-a-generation presence filling the room with the spirit of the living God. Now, truth be told, life wasn't always easy for young Aretha. Aretha, excuse me. But she knew she was loved, that she belonged, that she could have a life that was full of love and joy and peace. Now, later in adulthood, she made the move from sacred music to secular music. When she did that, she suffered pushback, as many artists do. She felt pushback from those who felt she betrayed her true calling to God, her first love, her true gift, praising the Lord. But of course, they were wrong. She never left the table. She never left that table that nourished her for years. Throughout her ministry of music, she chose time and time again to be in communion, to be in community with God, with the world, and with the unique person God created her to be. In fact, for many, Ms. Franklin was the queen of soul, not because of her music, but rather because of her work in civil rights, or her concern for the poor, or her willingness to help other African-American artists, or her unabashed empowerment of women. This week, in an interview in Variety magazine, Mrs. Franklin's producer, Narda Michael Walden, was asked, so you've worked with Whitney and with Mariah? Was she the greatest singer you've ever worked with? Her answer, his answer was telling. You know what it is, he said? We call her the queen of soul. And often she didn't want me to call her that toward the end of her life. She'd say, just call me Aretha. Just call me Riri. But I always called her queen because she taught us all. All the things she learned opening from Mahalia Jackson in the church when she was a little girl, how to put the church into a frenzy, how to put the human heart and soul and psyche right into a song, she knew how to do better than anybody else. And you match that with your vocal prowess and control and range, and that's what makes her out of this world. That's why Whitney could be Whitney. She learned from Aretha. Everybody did. He went on. I remember how the show we played before the last one in Boston, she was in pain. And during one of the songs, she got in the spirit thing about going to the doctors. She was telling this whole story and there was blues in it. And she started praising God and it went on for half an hour. Imagine that. I've never done anything like that on stage, she said. It was beyond the church. It was like a living communion. And the crowd just loved and trusted her so much that they opened their hearts to her. In our faith journey, there are steps, I believe, that must be taken to be a living communion, to be a person who lives a life that's connected, connected to others, connected to God, connected to self. And they are steps we really can't avoid. might well, miss one, but we have to go back if we do. We have to go back and work through the steps if we want to discover the peace that passes all understanding. The first step is forming good attachments with other people. Typically, this happens when we're kids. We learn who we are. We learn our worth from who we are connected to. Who is our family? Our family of faith. This is why I'm so passionate about kids being in worship with us. They learn who they are by being with us. The second step, once we form these good, healthy attachments, I'm beginning to realize this now with a 13-year-old. Once we form attachments, we begin the process of breaking free from those attachments so we can figure out who we are, what our unique gift is to give the world, so we can find our voice. This is not that much fun for parents or families or faith communities, but it's a step we must take. And then once we find ourselves, we come back. We come back to our families, back to our communities, back to our world with a sense of who we are and what we have to offer. And then, then the hard work actually begins. Once we know who we are, to whom we belong, and to what we have to offer, we then have to begin to be a living communion, to learn and grow in our capacity to love. This past month, two weeks ago, I went to Maine with my family for a week and a half vacation. And I kid you not, on the first hour of the drive, my phone broke. Broke. Didn't go dead, it died. Not to worry, I brought the iPad. An hour later, it broke. It died. I'm preaching from paper. This is crazy. This stuff moves around, it floats in the breeze, it's nuts. So for well two weeks actually, I had no phone and no iPad. Oh. Lovely. Mostly it was lovely because it gave me the space to think and to reflect, but more importantly to connect with people. Now you might think I connected mostly with my family. I had a great time with my family, loved my kids. Yay! Loved my wife, had fun, that was good. But my favorite day on the trip was a day when I went to town and just walked from store to store and talked to people. It was an extra first dream. I was happy as i have been in years. i have been given the space and the time and the place to think. In this meal that we're about to take together, and I believe at every table that is set by God or anyone else, we have a chance to stop and pause, to think, to reconnect, to see things more clearly, to move towards others, towards the world, towards God. At every meal, we have a choice to step into life or to step away from it. It's a choice that we always have to make. And it's a choice that is always ours to make. My favorite song in Miss Franklin's is the song, Think. Great tune. It's a song about the empowerment of women, but it's also a song about freedom and the power of the choices we have to make, especially the choices we make in relationship to other people. The song ends with these words that I promised about five people I will not sing People walking around every day, playing games, taking score, trying to make other people lose their minds and be careful you don't lose yours. Oh, think, come on, say it. think. Think about what you're trying to do to me, thank you. Think, let your mind go, let yourself be free. And then the song that a preacher's child will know by heart. Words they would know by heart, you hope. She ends with, you need me, and I need you. Without each other, there ain't nothing people can do. Think. Amen to that. Ways that we can be a part of creating this living through Restoration of our time, our talent, of our resources. We each a to of the ministry together. To that end, let us return a portion of our labor to the Lord. Let us receive return... the morning off. <laughs> Amen.